0: Greetings and salutations, welcome back to the intersection of science, history, and the unexplained. My name is Erin, and I am your existential examiner and clairaudient companion. Let's see if we can figure out what in the Sam Hill is going on out there. You may recall that in episode 13, we covered the Marfa Mystery Lights. This week, we are covering another set of Mystery Lights, those of Oviedo, Florida, Oviedo is a town in central Florida that started as a Florida Cracker settlement after the Civil War and remained a rural agricultural town for almost 100 years. Now it is a suburb of Orlando, though the area of the Lights is still relatively undeveloped. You can still feel the town's agricultural roots though, as it is home to the massive Duda Sod farm and there are chickens that wander the streets freely. The area of the lights is technically to the east of city limits on Snow Hill Road, in particular on the bridge crossing the Econ-Lokhachi River, also known as the Econ River, as the road runs through the little big Econ State Forest. The Econ River is a black water river, and don't worry, black water is not a reference to the poop tank on an RV. This type of black water is found in swamps or wetlands. Because the water is so slow moving, the detritic vegetation has time to decay, leaching tannins into the water, making it look like black tea. I've been to a Blackwater lake in South Georgia before, and it's actually quite an eerie feeling to be neck deep in black water, but still be able to see your toes crystal clear, six feet under. The surface is just as eerie, especially at night, it's highly reflective, resembling a black mirror, or an obsidian crystal ball. Ekon is a Muskogee word that literally translates as Earth Mound Stream. When I hear mound, I always think of the Mississippi Mound Builders that we first discussed in the Moon Eyed People episode, but there is some debate as to whether the Mississippi Mound Builders proper came that far south in Florida. The generally agreed upon southernmost boundary of the Mississippians is around Lake Jackson in the Tallahassee area. The speculation is that the Iconlokhachi mounds were refuse shell mounds called middens that are essentially big trash heaps, and these would be of the Timucua tribe of northern Florida. But there is some record of the Timucuans also building sandy burial mounds. It appears that too much of the archaeological evidence and the mounds themselves have been damaged or destroyed in the name of progress for any real answers to be had. And the Timucua are now extinct due to the new diseases of the early colonial period and to slave raids by settlers and other Native Americans from the Carolinas. So we do not have access to their legends of the area. We do not know if they have any records of strange lights around these parts. Viewing the lights was a particularly popular activity for teens in the Oviedo area from the 1940s through the 1970s. Their popularity has waned since then, but sightings do still occur. While this is still a mystery light, it is very different from the Marfa mystery lights. The Oviedo lights are described as a singular light. It has a bluish white glow that resembles a car racing down the road towards you, but the light never splits into two like headlights would, and when it hits the bridge, it disappears. Sometimes, though rarely, it will move in the opposite direction and chase the person away from the bridge. It's generally seen on a stormy night, and there are myriad ghost stories that go with a legend. All wild, but none true. What is true is that many people who have seen the lights are so scared that they refuse to go back to the area at night. From the skeptical perspective, there are really three explanations. The first is that the kids who witnessed it over the years were too drunk or too busy necking to see anything reliably. This seems to be the common refrain of local police over the years, though those same police officers admit to going light chasing themselves in their youth, so maybe they know from experience. That said, the idea that all of the people who witnessed the lights over all those decades would have all experienced the exact same or a very similar drunken hallucination is just laughable. The second explanation is that of car headlights, and while I can see how that would make sense given it's a light on a road, there are several reasons this explanation doesn't hold water. As I said before, the light never split into two distinct lights as a car's headlights would on approach none of the reports indicate hearing a car, and none of the reports indicate seeing a car. The light is described as a bluish white and as bright as the headlight on a freight train. While that doesn't seem so far-fetched with today's LED technology, in the mid 20th century, this is, again, preposterous. Through the period of light chasing popularity, car headlights would have been sealed beam incandescent or halogen, both with a color temperature in the 2700 to 3000 Kelvin range. As a quick overview, color temperature is a measurement of the color of light relative to the color of light emitted by a hypothetical idealized black body at a given temperature measured in Kelvins. So it's not the physical temperature of the light bulb, but the temperature of the hypothetical object in physics that the light is being compared to. The color temperature scale ranges from about 1,800 Kelvin for candlelight to about 6,000 Kelvin for sunlight. Neutral white is around 3,500 to 4,000 Kelvin. Temperatures below that are warmer whites that exhibit a more yellowish glow. Temperatures above that are cooler whites that exhibit a more bluish glow. The 30,000-ish Kelvin color temperature of incandescent and halogen bulbs puts vintage car headlights firmly in warm white territory. They just wouldn't have produced the bluish light described by witnesses. Not only that, but in 1968, students from Florida Technological University, now the University of Central Florida, investigated the lights for a series in the student newspaper. They tried to recreate the effect with their own car headlights to no avail. The third explanation given is swamp gas. And while I give the swamp gas hypothesis, a lot of grief as a catch all excuse for paranormal skeptics, I have to give them credit for at least having a swamp to produce swamp gas. In this instance, swamp gas, of course, is primarily methane gas released in a swampy environment from the decay of organic material. The methane gas can ignite creating a wispy glow. That glow is thought to be the phenomenon behind the Will of the Wisp Legends, where an ectoplasmic illumination lures travelers deeper into the swamp or bog. I see a few issues with this explanation also. Igniting swamp gas would have an ever-changing form, much like, you know, a gas. Or fire. It's not something that could be consistently described as an orb-like glow. Swamp gas ignition would also have to occur close to the source as the methane gas dissipates rather quickly. The fact that the Oviedo light is consistently described on the bridge and road, but not on the surface of the river, the source of the gas, is inconsistent with this requirement. Once again though, we have the students of FTU to thank for the final nail in the coffin. In their investigation, they asked the professors of the FTU physics department for their opinion. After some deliberation, they came back with the politically expedient answer that they could not draw any conclusions without further investigation. But the editor-in-chief of the student newspaper, John Goldston, gave an interview to the Orlando Sentinel, his future employer, in 1971. In that article, we find that an unnamed FTU professor said, quote, the characteristics of the lights were such that they could not be caused by swamp gas. So how about them apples? As for a ghostly cause, despite the wild stories, the only recorded death at the bridge happened in 1963. On July 16th, Norbert Hyman, Richard Pearson... Roger Smithson, and John and Mark Garvin went to the bridge to set off firecrackers. When they decided to head home, Richard ran to the car and began driving back to the others. The report says he drove for 525 feet with the headlights off before turning the headlights on just as he was making contact with Norbert, causing head and chest injuries. The others were able to jump out of the way before impact and were uninjured. Richard drove Norbert to the hospital 20 miles away in Winter Park. After taking the time to drop off the others at their respective homes, Norbert was dead on arrival. He was 17 at the time. If you look in the records of the Orlando Sentinel, you can find that Norbert went to dances and on field trips. In 1960, he won a prize for the biggest shoes at the Youth Club Hobo Dance. You can see his yearbook photo, You can see where a rosary was set in his memory after his death. You can find his grave in the Oviedo Cemetery across the street from the high school. And despite all of that, when John Goldston tracked down a family friend of the Hyman's, the friend told Goldston that Norbert never existed. Goldston said it was the weirdest part of the entire investigation. All I can think is that maybe the friend was just trying to give the Hyman family some peace by keeping Norbert's name out of the newspaper again, which might reopen a wound that perhaps had only just began to heal from five years earlier. It was an extremely small community at the time with only about 100 kids in the high school. Even people who didn't necessarily run in the same circles would have at least known of each other in such a small community especially if they were friends with the family. As for the curious among you, Richard was charged with manslaughter two days after the accident, but I am assuming further investigation led to the charges being dropped as Richard was in the newspaper a little over a year later for completing army advanced training to become a Hawk missile crewman. But for better or for worse, 1963 is a generation after the lights began to surge in popularity in the 1940s, so Norbert cannot be the cause of the lights. The FTU student newspaper did print a photo they supposedly took while investigating, and said that they witnessed the light with the naked eye as well. That photo is actually the show art for this episode. If you take a look, it looks like a big white amoeba, maybe six, seven feet off the ground. But I wasn't able to confirm that the photograph was authentic, and the students didn't seem to make a big deal of the photograph in their article, as I certainly would if I had seen it. The photograph could be real, but it also could have been faked to add juice to the story. Either way, no firm conclusions can be drawn from what it shows. Something else I found in my research really piqued my interest, though. Snow Hill Road is not the only supposed haunting in the Oviedo area. On Chapman Road, there is a misty figure that appears at the same spot each time between two specific telephone poles. Many have reported that as you pass the figure, there is a blood-curdling scream that makes you feel like a woman is in the backseat of your car just wailing right into your ear. There are also reports that at night, you can hear the playful laughter of the children who worked and died in the celery fields there. On County Road 419, people report anomalies with their radios, a feeling of being watched, and lost time where they come to as they're turning off 419 onto another road and have no idea how they got there. There's an intimidating presence felt in St. Luke's Lutheran Church Cemetery There's a female spirit at Oviedo High that follows you home, there are more playing children along Andrew Street, there's an apparition of a man hanging from a tree in Boston Hill Cemetery as well as disembodied footsteps, and on top of all that there are Bigfoot slash skunk ape sightings in the Little Big Econ State Forest. So the real question is, what in the Sam Hill is going on in Oviedo in general? Because a blind man with no arms couldn't miss playing pin the tail on the paranormal with a map of the Oviedo area. It makes me think that Oviedo must be a hotspot for the Falien phenomenon rather than just a home for ghosties. Because we have much more than just a few spirits here. There's clearly a manipulation of electromagnetism here if it is able to create balls of light, interfere with electronics, and distort perception of time. To look at the Faelian phenomenon, we have to defer to the work of Barry Fitzgerald. He's the one who has done so much research on the interconnectedness of the Fae, UFOs, ghosties, cryptids, etc. I'm actually in the middle of Deception of Gods and Men right now, but it is so dense I've been having to read and reread passages. And yes, my word, Phalion is a portmanteau of fey and alien. In his book, Barry talked about how interactions with the Phalians happens most at the extremely positive and extremely negative poles of the Earth's magnetic grid. I took a gander at the EMAG2 map, and sure enough, Oviedo and the Little Big Econ State Forest lay right on the edge of an extremely positive magnetic area. However, Barry also says that most Valian manifestations are linked to rocky outcrops and mounds, similar to the mesa at Skinwalker Ranch or the Fairy Mounds of Ireland. Barry himself has had experiences with phalions at Noc a hill in Ireland which translates to Hill of the Fairies. Florida is not exactly known for its rocky outcrops, it's sand, sand, and more sand. We do have those mounds of the econ River though, and the largest shell mound in the lower 48, Turtle Mound, is due east of Oviedo at the Canaveral National Seashore. These shell mounds are made of oyster shells, which are calcium carbonate, which also happens to be the same material, known as limestone, which makes up the cap of Noc Nashi. Perhaps because the shells are of the same material, the shell mounds function similarly to the rocky outcrops Barry has linked to the falions. Either way, I think something very weird is going on in Ovita, Florida, and our current scientific worldview cannot explain the goings on. It truly is a mystery that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode take a gander at the show notes to find links to the resources i used in the making of this episode as well as all of the places you can find me you can also go to beacons.ai slash what to get a free sticker and show your support for the show until next time may you never stop asking what in the sam hill